Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. As of August 2nd, we have resumed in-person worship services on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are committed to the health and safety of our families and will continue to offer our simultaneous live stream at youtube.com slash area 10 faith community. We hope you'll join us at the Bird Theater again soon, but in the meantime, we're providing the best possible online experience we can for you. Now, on to this week's message. I want to talk about something today uh, that's maybe a little different in this series. I want to talk about the concept of money. And the reason I want to talk about money is that I think money has a way of getting hold of our hearts and, and messing with us in a way that like almost nothing else will. Like if you show me a marriage that has blown up, I will show you a couple that has probably had financial problems. If you show me adult siblings who are having a fight, uh, there's a good chance that money's in that fight somewhere. Maybe they're fighting over inheritance with parents or something like that. Like money shows up there. If you show me uh, a strained relationship between a parent and a child, uh, and maybe maybe a dad and a son, uh, I could probably point to some point where dad is like pursuing money to an unhealthy degree, and he's not making the time for his kid. Now I know this doesn't happen 100% of the time that money messes things up, but I think it happens enough that we could say. There's a trend here. There's something going on. And it's worth looking at uh, money and talking about it because I think money can really uh, push us. Not that money is bad, not that money is evil, but the total love of it and the pursuit of it can cause all sorts of problems. And I want to talk about that in this series in particular. This series is called The Quit Line. And we're talking about when you get pushed to the edge, when you're pushed to that moment where you want to quit. And I think over the last year, a lot of people have wanted to quit. We've wanted to quit on friendships uh, because we have different political views. We've seen that in the last year or so. We've wanted to quit on uh, so many things related to COVID. Things in the economy have faltered, and we've come to our quit line there in a lot of things. We've wanted to quit on relationships. We've wanted to quit on God that he didn't provide in a way that we thought he should over this past year, and, and so we're losing faith. Like, there has been a quit line that we have hit and a lot of people have hit over the last year, and I wanted to talk about that. And the reason I want to talk about money is I think behind many of our quit lines, there's a quit line around money, or, or money will push us to our other quit lines. Like, you can have really high ideals about your company, but if you tried to start your company in 2020, there's a good chance you ran out of money, and, and the lack of money pushed you to the quit line where you said, I'm not going to do this anymore. Your nonprofit, your church, your whatever it is, whatever you're, you're doing, whatever you're running, whatever's happening, um, if you don't have money fueling it, you can hit your quit line. You'll just be like, I'm just not going to do this uh, anymore. Um, you, you see that kind of stuff all the time. You, you may have planned to do this incredible wedding, and you start figuring out how much weddings cost, and I've... I've performed a lot of weddings, and I know they're re- really, really expensive. So you may have planned this incredible wedding, but you'll hit your quit line when you run out of money. You'll be like, maybe you're not going to quit on the marriage, I hope, but you might quit on the, on the big wedding because you're like, I can't afford this. The, the reality is when you start putting money on something, that is when the rubber hits the road. And, and you go, man, I'm, I'm, am I really in this or not? Because I'm, I'm running out of money here, and that's going to make me want want to quit. And so knowing that money and the lack of money and our, our relationship to money will, will push you to a quit line, I thought it'd be valuable for us to just spend a little bit of time talking about it uh, this morning. Now, Jesus taught a lot about money, actually. And the reason he taught a lot about money is 2,000 years ago when Jesus walked around on earth and taught, 
Um, people then, yeah, it's a very different culture than ours. And people are dealing with pretty much the same things or a lot of the same things. Humanity hasn't changed that much. And people in that day are dealing with money. Do they have enough? Do they, you know, what, what do you do if you have extra? What do you do? How do you get more? All, all that kind of stuff. People are dealing with all these issues around money. And I think that's the same thing that's true in our case. And so Jesus spoke to it because it's a very relevant topic to his audience and it's a relevant topic for us too. I don't know how much money you make, uh, but here's what I know about our church. In, in our church, there's a wide range. Some people make a lot of money and do very well and they tuck it away and they've got some good things going on, right? And some people don't make much money and, and the, uh, paying bills is, is very much a struggle and there's sort of everything in between. And so I know that if we talk about money today, it, it is actually a highly relevant topic about it. Um, no matter how much you have, all of us have a limited supply. We all have some. Uh, it, may be, it may seem like a lot or a little, but all of us just have some. So what are we going to do with it? Jesus taught on this because he knew that money has a way of messing with your head and messing with your heart. And so I want to get into it. Today And to do that, I want to, I want to read a, a, an encounter that Jesus has with somebody in his crowd. When Jesus would speak, crowds would gather around to hear what he had to say. And every now and then, someone would sort of throw a question out to him, and he would address it. And so you, you'd see that recorded. And, and the, the writer Luke records a conversation Jesus has with a guy in an audience. And then Jesus sort of uh, uses it as a teaching moment to tell this parable afterwards. And so uh, he has this conversation, then he, he teaches this thing. And I, I want us to hear it because it says a lot about money, but it says a lot more about the human heart and the human condition underneath that. So be uh, good for us. Let's start with, uh, in the book of Luke, chapter 12, we'll put it up on the screen so you can follow along, starting with verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you. All right, this is interesting to me. I, I, I sort of imagine this like two brothers, because you, you gotta kinda wonder the backstory of this. Someone in the crowd says, hey, um, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. He says that to Jesus. And you wonder if there's a backstory to that. Like, was, were these two brothers fighting just recently and now this guy's gone to hear Jesus and he's going to ask Jesus to rule on it? Like, hey, here's a high religious leader. Here's a moral authority figure. If I can get this guy to make a ruling on my situation with my brother and I, that's going to be good. I'm going to ask him to speak up. That, that'll be really good. And so maybe, maybe that's the backstory. Maybe this guy and his brother are standing right next to each other. Maybe he's like, uh, teacher, could you tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me? Maybe it was, you know, that awkward. Maybe they were fighting about it on the way over to hear Jesus. Have you ever fought on the way to church, families? Like in the car, right? It's one of the reasons I'm glad I walked to church uh, is that it's less time to fight in the car on the way over. Have you ever fight on the way to church? You know, you're like driving to church, you're like, everybody shut up. We're going to sing to Jesus. You know, you're like, we're going to go pray. Stop it. You guys calm down. You know, like, so maybe there's a fight on the way to go see Jesus with these two. And, and this guy's like, I'm going to get a ruling authority here. I'm going to get Jesus to speak up, and he's going he's gonna to handle this for me. And Jesus doesn't really go right into the answer of the question or, or, or deal with the thing directly. The guy's like, hey, tell my brother to, to split the inheritance. And Jesus, as he often does when he's challenged, he sort of answers the statement or answers the question with a question, and he says, 
man, who made me your judge? I'm not your judge or arbitrator over you. I'm not the one who's here to settle your, your financial disputes. Like, why are you bringing this to me? And I, and I wondered, like, why is he asking that question? And I think what he's doing is he's getting at the motive. He's, getting at, he's opening up the conversation about the heart. Yeah, you're going to ask me a question about money, but there's another thing going on here that's deeper than just money. And so he, he, he pushes at this guy and, and listens listen to what he says. Verse 15. And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. This is next level stuff. Jesus says, watch your heart in this. Yeah, I know you want to talk about inheritance and, and quibble over that, and, 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 and that's important stuff, and money's an important thing. Yes, we get it. But I want you to notice something going on in your own heart, and I want you to watch out and guard your heart against all sorts of, and he says the word, covetousness. Now, that's not a word that we typically use, but it, it's, it's maybe mostly uh, we could think of it like um, greed. Uh, he, he's warning them against greed and, and, and not accumulating stuff. Now, that's interesting because we live in a culture that tells us to accumulate stuff. We live in a culture you may have seen as a bumper sticker or a t-shirt years back. It would say, like, he who dies with the most toys wins, right? The, the idea that, that life is about accumulation of stuff. If you get the most toys, you win. And, and, and we've sort of inherited that in our culture, and it's kind of in the air. And, and I don't know that everybody's like, oh, I'm so into buying more and more stuff, uh, there's, there's definitely that, but, but a lot of times what we like to buy now is, is experiences, and so we like to have more and more experiences and visit more and more places and see more and more things, and, and, we, and we sort of act like, hey, life is about the accumulation of either stuff, things, possessions, or life is about the accumulation of experiences. And Jesus is going to challenge that, and I want you to listen closely to me, because if you're um, starting out in a career, or you're high school or college or young adult, and you're starting out a career, there's a lot of temptation, and, and a, there will be um, a, a lot of people sort of pushing you towards get a career and make a lot of money, because we've all inherited this idea that money is where it's at. And I just want you to hear it again, that Jesus goes deeper than that, and money is not where it's at. Yes, money's important, and, it's, and it's, you need it to, you know, shelter and clothing and these sorts of things, but there's more to life than just pursuing more and more stuff. Um, life has got so much more to it. You can be rich and miserable. You can be poor and actually be pretty content. There's something else going on here. And so Jesus points us to the other thing. He says, be, uh, be concerned, look out for, guard against covetousness, which is another word for greed. So what is greed? Greed is when we eat everything on our plate and we look around for more. Right? You've, we've all experienced that, where, where you're like, I've had all of this, and now I want, even, I want to have even more. Um, John D. Rockefeller, one of the wealthiest men of, of years gone by in America, he was, he was asked about money, and he, and he said this. He says, how much money does it take to make a man happy? Just one more dollar. Just one more dollar. That's all it takes. That is, that is greed in a nutshell, right? It's a condition of the heart. I just have to have more and more and more. 
And, and, and I don't even need to convince you that greed is bad. Like, everybody knows it. Everybody has this sense of like, oh, greedy, that's not a good thing. I mean, you remember your cousin at your birthday party when you were five, right? You remember that little kid that was like, he wanted to open your presents? You all remember what that felt like? He wanted the largest piece of cake at your birthday party? You know what that's like. That's greedy. But as we get older, it's not your little cousin anymore. It might be you. And, it, and, and the truth is, the cake gets more expensive and the presents get bigger and better. But, but it's still that same idea that we want something that's not ours necessarily, or we, we think we deserve more, we, we're owed more, or whatever, and we just keep going after more, more, and more. And so everybody knows, you've all experienced this, we know what it's like to, to be greedy, or, or, or we know what it's like to, to see greed in others. Here's the challenge. Everybody thinks greedy is wrong. Nobody thinks they're greedy. I have yet to meet the brother or sister walk into my office to confess their sin of greed. People will confess all sorts of sins. Yes, I struggle with this. I struggle with this. I'm having this problem. I'm having this problem. I've got anger issues. I've got lust issues. Nobody's walking in saying they have greed issues. Nobody. So if greed is a problem and Jesus warns us about it, it must be a problem for like other people because it's not my problem. I don't have it. You don't have it, right? It's just those other people. I, I know people who are really greedy. They're chasing money way too much, but, but not me. I'm not greedy. Look, I don't, I don't actually know your heart, so I can't say for sure. So let's just check in on ourselves here. Not your neighbor, not your friend, not what, like, not, let's not judge them. Let's just look at your own heart and, and where, you, where you sit with your relationship to money and, and greed. Here's my question. If you are greedy or not greedy, how would you know? How would you know? What evidence or criteria would you use to say, I'm greedy or not greedy? There's got to be something, right? We have evidence and criteria for lots of things. If I said to you, are you in good shape? You would give me evidence or criteria for that. You would say, I weigh this. My body fat percentage is this. I went to the doctor and my A1C levels are this. You would have things that you would point to objectively and say, I am in good shape and here's why. And I could see pretty quickly if you're lying to me. You know, oh, you think you're, no, you're not. You know, whatever, like, well, like we could tell. There's criteria there. There's evidence you could give me. But if I ask you, are you greedy or not, what evidence would you give? Well, I just, I, I, I don't have a lot of money. That's, that's not it. That's not it. You can be wealthy and not greedy. You can be poor and still be very greedy because it's not a matter of how much you have. It's more like a, a, a matter of how much you keep chasing. How much are you pursuing? How much is enough for you? This is the kind of stuff you get at when we're talking about greed. It's, it's a measure of how much can you be satisfied with. So Jesus goes to goes to that kind of issue with this guy. How much, you know, whether you get the inheritance or not, guy, this guy in the audience, whether you get the inheritance or not, that's not the problem. Like, that's not the issue. There's something else going on. There's, uh, you know, enough will not be enough for you. There will be a broken relationship between you and your brother, and that's a bigger issue. And so, to continue that on, he says this in, in, in verse 16. He told them a parable, saying, 
So this is a story Jesus tells. It didn't actually happen, right? But it's a, suppose this happened. The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and then I will store all my grain and my goods. All right, a couple things here. There's the land of a wealthy man. So this is a rich guy who is a landowner. It is no secret in the history of the world that if you are going to get wealthy, land ownership is a big part of that. When you are able to own a a slice of, of the pie, you can create wealth off of that. You can create it for generations. Things increase in value. You can pass that on. There's whole stories in this country, the history of the country, and you can trace back who has wealth now, who does not have wealth by ethnic group, by family. You know, you can trace all these things and look at land ownership. Okay, so this guy has land, he's a wealthy guy, and um, the crops from that land produced extremely well in a, in a, particular, in a particular year. So um, he got rich because the crops were, he got richer because the crops were so good one, one year. Now that makes a ton of sense in agrarian society. Um, if, if you have crops, the amount of wealth you have is tied to that land and those crops. And how well they do is affected by a lot of things that are out of your control. How much rain you got that season, how much sunshine, you know, the soil, all that kind of stuff. And there's not a lot you can, you can't make it rain, right? There's not a lot you can do about those things. And so this guy got wealthy and, and you could almost say he got really rich through no fault of his own. Like, it just worked out well for him. It was a good year. If he had had a bad year, uh, if, if it had not rained enough or whatever, a drought, it's going to be bad for him. He's not going to be wealthy. But things worked out really well for him. It went well. Um, and that makes sense in an agrarian society where people rely on the land to produce their wealth. It makes less sense for us in 2021, right? It, we, we don't rely on that. But if 2020 taught us anything, Didn't we realize how precariously perched our economic system is over the last year? That it doesn't take much to make some things grind to a halt? That it doesn't take much for a lot of people to get laid off? Yeah, we're not relying on, you know, the the water cycle, you know, the sunshine and the rain and all that. We're not relying on those things that are out of control. We're relying on a large economic system, which also is out of our control. And we may think we're way better off, but I don't know that we, that we definitely are. So this guy, he gets, he's a rich guy who gets richer. And his conclusion about making um, more money uh, is to build bigger barns. And this brings up an interesting question. What do you do when you get extra? Like you've had enough, you've, got, you've eaten everything on your plate, and now you have more. There's more to be had. What do you do with that? Well, I mean, a lot of people might might do what this guy did. You build a bigger barn. You just go, well, I've got so much, I just need more. So I'm going to get more 401ks, more investment vehicles, more ways to park my money over here. And I'm going to save and I'm going to tuck it away and I'm going to put it in the sofa and I'm going to buy gold bars and I'm going to do this kind of investment and I'm going to buy art and I'm going to do all these things that increase in value. Um, And so you're going to do what this guy did. He basically said, I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger barns. We might build a bigger house to park more money in real estate or something like that. This is what people do when, when things are going well. They get more. They, 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 they consume more. They purchase more in order to, to you know, park, park their money. Um, 
But, but the question about what do you do when you have more, how you answer that would go, will go a long way to speaking to whether you're greedy or not. It, go, it says a lot about your heart when you handle the extra. If you get extra, if the government, government be handing out checks lately, so if the government's like throwing a check your way, um, if, if our response is, oh, I can go spend more on myself, well, that says something about your heart, right? If my response is, oh, I can now be more generous to others, well, that says something about your heart, right? Uh, what do you do when you, when you get the extra? This guy has extra and he tucks it away. And listen, listen, what else? It's not just that he tucked away, because we would actually look at what he did and go, that seems pretty smart. He got more. He should build bigger barns to store it. He had more checking account, more savings account, that kind of thing. Seems smart. Verse 19, listen to what he says. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. All right, this guy has reached a different kind of quit line, sort of like early retirement, where he's like, and I think I'm done. It's not just that he has a lot of money. It's like he has so much that he's like, I'm not going to do anything else but party for the rest of my days. This is, this is what my life is going to be about. Now, before I read to you how Jesus responds to that, I want you to notice that really um, this guy, uh, we don't see his attitude as bad or wrong. And you, know, you could say, well, maybe it isn't necessarily bad or wrong. He got extra and he's storing it and he's preparing for his future. He's, he seems careful or fru- maybe frugal. Now he's going to party only because he's earned enough. He, he's saved well, all those kind of things. Um, and in many ways, this guy, it seems like he won the game of life, right? We, we, had, we literally had a game in my childhood called the game of life. And I, I guess it's still out there, although they've updated it and it needed an update badly. But the game had this like really the spinner, remember the spinner, which is like super tactile and awesome. It's better than rolling dice, this zzz, you know, and like you'd spin this thing and like you'd move around this board and you would get these jobs like journalist or doctor or whatever. You'd get these jobs and you'd have a payday and every time you get this payday, you get this money and then things happen, you gain and lose money. Well, the whole point of the game of life was to get to this little white, well, a big white house at the end of the game that was a mansion, and you got to be a millionaire tycoon. That was the thing. If you've done really well at the game of life and you win, you achieve millionaire tycoon status, and you get a big white house with, like, columns in front of it. That was winning life, okay? You don't think that shaped a generation? (laughs) That was winning life. That's what we said winning life is. I'm glad they've updated because the the updated version, everybody has like a side hustle with their regular job. Everyone in in the game is like your regular job and then you have like, I'm an Instagram influencer and stuff, which is fantastic. It's, you gotta try it, it's amazing. So this is what we we believe that, I, I think we would look at this guy and go, oh, he's winning. Like he did the thing, he he made a lot, and he got land, and he got more, and then he gets to just quit, and then party, and eat, drink, and be married. It's like, this guy is awesome. Jesus doesn't see it that way. He actually rebukes the guy. Listen to this, verse 20. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? We call him a winner at the game of life. 
God calls him a fool. And he brings up this question, all the stuff you got, who's going to get it? Now that's an interesting question. This kind of brings me to two points of this. Number one is, who gets, who gets all the stuff that you're accumulating? Who gets that when we get more and more and more? Where does, where does that go? It actually reminds me of, in the Old Testament, King Solomon was one of the wealthiest men in Israel. And he writes the book of Ecclesiastes. And in Ecclesiastes, in the Old Testament, about 1,000 B.C., he basically looks around at his children and he goes, I accumulate all this stuff and it's going to be handed over when I die to these knuckleheads. Like, that's his conclusions. Like, they didn't even work for it. Like, I worked hard to get where I'm at, and all of it is just going to be handed over to them. Now, you can talk about family legacy and generational wealth and preparing to set up your family for generations to come and things like that. And, I, and I'm not against all of that. Like, I, I, I get it, and I think there's, there's some wisdom there. But you've you got to be careful, right? Because it can get a little bit ridiculous. And Jesus says to him, yeah, you've accumulated all this. Great. Where's that all going to go? Because eventually, and actually he says, this very night, your soul is going to be required of you. You're, you're, you're going to die. And that's the second point. So the first point is, um, who's going to get all your stuff? And think about that. But the second thing is this. We don't know how long we have. We don't know how long we have. He says, this very night, your soul will be required of you. You can make the plan right now. I'm going to pack it in for 30 years. You don't even know if you have a year. Didn't we learn that in 2020? Didn't we see that, that life is short? And sometimes it's tragically short. I'm sure you know people who lost their life over the last year. You have friends, family, a, a grandfather, a, an uncle, someone, someone who died. Maybe something related to COVID, may, maybe not. I, I, know people, um, I know people who have died because of COVID. I know people who are connected to this church that have died because of COVID. I, I also know people have committed suicide over the last year due to probably depression that sets in and, and a lot of the things around lockdown and the inability to do some of the normal things of life. And so there's been some hard, hard stuff that people have been walking through over the last year. And, and if anything, have we learned life is short and Life is tragically short sometimes, and, and we don't know, and you make this plan of, I'm, I'm going to eat, drink, and be married, and, and set it up for years and years and years, and, and Jesus says, this might be the day that your soul is going to be required of you. This is the, the, the reckoning day. You don't know how long you have. You're not going to be on earth forever. We all know that. So the answer isn't to... Um, well, we don't know how long we have. We better really just tuck money away and all that. The answer is to start thinking even longer term, playing the long game. Think eternal life. You're going to die, and then what happens next? To, to, to think eternally, even about money. Verse 21, this is how he, uh, he ends it. He says, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. The greed will choke you out. You can build bigger and bigger barns. You can eat off of your plate and then say, I want more and get a bigger plate. And you just keep getting more and more stuff and you keep consuming. And eventually what will happen is you will consume so many things and they will eventually consume you. 
It will, it will rot you from the inside out. The stuff you consume eventually consumes you. And, and, and I know we've seen this. Yeah, we can talk about all the, the, the plagues in, in America. We could talk about COVID. We could talk about um, the problem with fake news and the, and the problems with social media and all of these things. And these are all real issues, and we talk about them, and we will talk about them. But underneath all of these things, lying in the shadows, lurking in the shadows, is this monster of greed. And it's there, and it, and it, wants, to, it wants to destroy us. It wants to consume us. So... What do we do to avoid it? Here's the thing. The best way to avoid greed, the best way to, to not be greedy, to not be covetousness, to have covetousness as Jesus says it, um, the best way to know if you're greedy or not is this. Intentionally, generously, sacrificially, give your money away. It's it's. It's that clean. That is, that is the only metric I can give you. Hey, am I greedy? I don't know. But I do know this. I don't eat everything on my plate. If you, if you look at your budget and say, this is how much money I have, and then you say, I'm taking a percentage of that and giving it away, you are saying, I'm not eating everything on my plate. That's called generosity, and that is the opposite of being greedy. This is, this is the challenge for all of us. How do we intentionally not eat all that's on our plate, especially in a culture where Americans are living on 117% of their income? We're eating all of our plate and then going to reach for more and, and borrowing more so that we can get by. How do, how do we do this? The early Christians believed what Jesus said. And they were very generous. If you go back and look at the history of the church in the first couple centuries after Jesus, you know, 100, 200, 300 AD in this time, the early Christians are generous. They're selling land and they're giving money to the church and then the church would redistribute it to anybody who had need. You see that in the book of Acts. You see that they would, um, they would fast from eating in the Roman Empire and the money they would have spent on food, they would give it to a neighbor who doesn't have any food and didn't have any money and they would, they would support and they were generous that way. There's just over and over you see Christians coming together around health care, um, taking care of each, each other in education, using their money differently. You'd see Christians doing things differently for hundreds of years in the Roman Empire and they were generous. They took Jesus' words to heart, and they thought eternally about their lives, that I need to spend money in ways that, that I help people in, in the long term. They were playing the long game even with their finances. The Apostle Paul instructs uh, one of his protégés, a guy named Timothy, and, and he gives him uh, some instructions to give to rich people. Now, Timothy was a pastor over a church in Ephesus in western Turkey, and, and as Timothy was there, Paul wrote him a letter and said, here are some instructions I want you to give, and here's some, some advice and coaching I have for you as a leader. And he tells Timothy to talk to rich people in the church. And listen to what he tells them in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6. It says this, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy they are to do good to be rich in good works to be generous and ready to share thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life his instruction was hey tell the rich people in the church 
Don't be haughty. Don't be greedy. Don't be hoarding things. But instead, um, be generous with what you have. Give it away to others. And he doesn't just teach them about money. He teaches them about trust and hope. In giving money away, you are placing your trust in God. You are saying, God, I don't need all of this. I am trusting that you will take care of me. Your trust in God, your hope in God, it changes the way you think about the future when you give money away. This is what he's challenging them to do. Now, I know that um, he says here um, to give that, that, that you should tell the rich people this. And it's really easier for us to read this and go, well, I'm not the rich people. Cool. This doesn't apply to me. He says, tell the rich people to be generous. I'm not rich. I know rich people and it ain't me. And here's the deal. Even rich people you know will say that. They know someone else. Everybody knows someone else. Unless your name's like Buffett or Gates, you probably don't know richer people than you, Right? Everybody knows someone else. And so we all read that and go, that doesn't apply to me. But here's the deal. And I know, again, we have a range in this, in this church and in this culture. But the deal is, in the history of the world, there hasn't been an economy like this one. I, I know it's taken a bit of a hit here this past year. But over the last couple of years, this is a wealthy place. The people who are poor in America live by the standards of kings from a couple hundred years ago. It's incredible the opportunities that we have. And so the call is for all of us to read this and go, hey, maybe we're the rich ones in some way. And the call for us is to be generous with what we have. And so let me give you a challenge today. Let me challenge you to give your money away generously. And let me challenge you to give your money away generously in this church, in the work that God is doing in this community. Now, I know when any preacher stands up and tells the church, hey, you should give money generously to the church, it sounds super self-serving. I get that. Um, And it sounds uncomfortable. It's like, oh, he went there, you know. Um, And I I, I get that too. It's very pointed. In fact, when we did a capital campaign in 2016, we raised money to get the property that we have here just down from the bird here at 2810. Um... When we raised money for that capital campaign, before we got into that, I had uh, some mentors tell me, they said, Chris, um, this is the best, some of the best advice they gave me. They said, you need to understand this. When you go to the church and ask for money in a capital campaign, um, it's, it's, you're going to have pushback from that because it's a heart issue for people. It's not a wallet issue. And you're kicking up heart stuff. And when you kick up heart stuff, people have strong reactions to that. So just know that that is coming. And I smiled and nodded. I'm like, yeah, yeah, probably. I get it. I get it. But they were right. You talk about money, and it kicks up issues for people. If I got up here and talked about social justice and said, hey, there needs to be more, we need a more just society, and you were like, yeah, uh, amen, brother. Yeah, let's say it. If I got up here and talked about systemic racism and said, let's talk about, you know, uh, things that have gone on in, in our culture over the years and where that led to and what, that, what kind of outcomes that's led to and incarceration, all these things, you go, yeah, exactly right. And, and you'd want me to talk about it. If I talked about, um, if I talked about the sanctity of life and said, oh, you know, abortions, this is a bad thing in society and, and 
the slaughter of the unborn and all of these things, when you had all that, there's a group of people that would be like, amen, brother, you need to say that, and that's true, and that's right. And I could talk about all these things. I could talk about faith and how we need to have more faith, and everybody would go like, oh, yeah, I need to have more faith. I need to live by faith. I could talk about hope and be like, yeah, I need hope. I could talk about heaven. I could paint you a picture of heaven, and you would be like, yes, I want to go there, and I want to see people who have gone before, and I want to be with Jesus, and isn't that going to be awesome? I could talk about all of those things, and it would be like, yeah, that'd be great. But I talk about money, and people are like, wait, hold up. What? Hey, why don't you just talk about the God stuff over there? No, money is the God stuff. Not that, not that oh, you know, money equals God. No. But when, when, when Jesus wanted to make a point about who we serve, he said you can't serve both God and money. He didn't say you can't serve both God and Satan. He said God and money. Why? Because that's going to mess you up. It is a heart issue. And so the challenge is this. Um, give it away. And I, and I want to challenge you with that for two reasons. One, because it fights against greed. It's all the things I just talked about. It fights against the greed in your heart when you were generous. And it is a discipleship issue. If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, this is a discipleship issue, giving money away, being generous with it, giving towards the kingdom of God. That is a discipleship issue. It is a heart issue. And so we need to be uh, generous people. And I know it's a discipleship issue. I know it's a heart issue. Do you know what happened in 2020? Giving in churches and nonprofits went down as the economy. Now, you would expect that, right? As the economy struggles, giving goes down, people look at churches or nonprofits or things as non-essential. I'm not going to give money to those things. I'm going to instead hold on to my money so we can buy food and pay rent. I understand that. But giving went down to those things. Do you know where giving did not go down? Political contributions went up. And you're telling me, you're telling me that it's not a heart issue? It is a heart issue. It's a trust issue. It's a hope issue. It's where do you place your hope and faith? So give money away for that reason, number one. And number two, I, I want to challenge you to give money at this church because financial giving fuels the mission that we're on. And we have a big mission in this church. I've been talking to you the last couple weeks about how we want to help people uh, Connect to God, find your people, and change the world. And we're going to do that in the city for the city, and we're doing that here. We're doing stuff online. Um, we have a big mission, and, and I see a lot of hope. As vaccines are coming and things are, as things are looking towards opening up more, there's a lot of opportunity. I think a lot of people are lonely. A lot of people are disconnected. A lot of people need hope. And that's what we're about, and, and I want to be well-positioned to reach them, that we can be as a community ready to go uh, to reach them. It's a, it's a big thing. You know, last month we celebrated this, and I told you, during the month of December, people from this church online here in the city and, and all over the place um, gave to help Grace and Peace Ministries. We raised over $40,000 in one month on top of our normal offering as a church. So giving at this church is fifty to 60000 somewhere there per month. On top of that, we raised another forty. Uh, and it was awesome. We celebrated. They bought a van. They got uh, to, to take care of some transportation needs for that ministry. Really good stuff. They're doing great work in the city. Love it. And I'm super excited. And, and, and I told you about it a couple weeks ago, and people clapped. People were excited. And, and y'all were excited. And you were part of it. And I just want to say thank you very much for what you allowed God to do through you when you let him work his generosity through you. That's a, like an awesome thing. But here's what I want you to hear about that. 
it's very easy to celebrate a moment, a, a, a month, where we go, oh, we raised 40,000 this month. Wasn't this awesome? Yes, it's great. Very easy to celebrate that. But here's the truth. That month of December doesn't even happen if people didn't regularly give to this church for 12 years. Month after month after month. That great generous month was built on a structure, on a foundation of other people being generous for, for, for over a decade. That's the reality. That's, that's how it works. Generosity over years. So the opportunity is in front of us as a church to, to, to reach people as things open up more and, and we come more, with more ways to connect the community. And financial giving helps support that of what we're doing. So it's, it's a heart issue for us, and it, and it comes into play with greed and generosity, but it also fuels the mission, and it's a way for us to show our hope and, and trust. And so I, I'm, I'm asking you to give um, for, for, for those reasons. And I think it's a, a, a powerful thing. Um, I know for, economy has been tricky over the past year, and I know many of us have reached our quit line, but let me encourage you to, to, to start thinking differently about money. Um, those of you who give, thank you, and, and, and continue to be generous. And those of you who haven't started, this is the time. Let's, let's do this thing. Let's pray. God, thank you for uh, resources that you, that you bless us with, um, that all of us have some amount of money, um, and uh, we have a responsibility to, to handle it well. God, it can corrupt us. It can destroy us. It can destroy so many relationships and things around us. Um, or we can use it wisely. We can invest it eternally. We can think longer, longer term about our money, and we can be uh, generous people. Help us to be that. God, um, help us to not believe that we'll be generous if only we get a certain amount of money. If, if one day I reach this certain amount, then I'll be generous. God, help us to, to, to know in our hearts that it, it's, a, it's an attitude of the heart, not a, not a condition of our wallet that's at play here. And so help us to set our hearts right towards that now and be generous with, with whatever amount that you, have, um, that you have given us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.